Chapter 6 of The Recording Angel by Edwin Arnold Brinholtz. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recorded by Andrew Bemis. The massive gates of circumstance are turned upon the smallest hinge. Old saying. As Arndt and Kennedy were about to seat themselves at the table, on which steamed the breakfast prepared for them by the neighbors and the old servant, they were startled by a violent ringing on the doorbell, and before they could take the seats, the dining-room door opened and old Mr. Endy entered. He hesitated a moment on seeing the men, and then said, with great agitation, "'Excuse me, gentlemen. I heard only a half-hour ago that my old friend Angus is dead. I came to see Nettie. Is it true, doctor?' Kennedy placed the chair on which his hand still rested near the old man and said quietly, You had better take this seat, Mr. Endy. And Arndt, ever observant of the smallest things, noticed that the note of servility which he had always disliked in the voice of Kennedy when he was addressing the rich was gone, and he said to himself, My work will not be a total failure. One good man is already partially emancipated. The old millionaire gratefully took the offered seat, but before he did so, he shook hands with both men, as he said, Excuse me, gentlemen, for my discourtesy. I am too agitated to think much about manners today. Turning to the doctor, he said, Well, Mr. Kennedy, let me hear the worst. Kennedy, who had been waiting for the man to pull himself together, said quietly, Angus is dead heart failure from shock. Nettie is down, still unconscious. I fear serious trouble with the brain. Not Nettie, too, broke in Mr. Endy, but the doctor remained silent, and then the other said brokenly, You must, you must save her, doctor. My boy must not have two lives charged against him. And when Kennedy would have spoken a word of expostulation at that view of it, he interrupted him with a gesture and said, Can I see him? Certainly, said the doctor, and opened the door into the sitting room, and the other passed him, saying, Thank you, doctor. Close the door. Kennedy and Arndt then took their seats and ate, the former from habit, for even the finest feelings become blunted by the constant sight of suffering, and the latter because he felt the absolute necessity for strength, and so he ate as much as he could, although his nerves were on such a strain that every mouthful was taken only by a violent effort of the will. Good, said the doctor, as Arndt finally pushed back his plate. That is better than I expected you to do. What one must do, one can do, was the reply, and Kennedy thought, that describes you exactly. But aloud he said only, I suppose so, and what I must do at once is to see Nettie, and then to go to my other patients. And he left the room. Charles Arndt leaned back in his chair while the neighbor who had come at his request during the night removed the breakfast dishes and then pushed the table back against the wall, and then he said to her, I will wait here, Mrs. Watson, and if there is anything I can do, you will know where to find me. In the sitting room, all was silence, and Arndt smiled bitterly as he thought of that father's words two lives. What would he think, said he to himself, if he knew of the actual amount of suffering his son's ambition has already caused, and what 
If he could see the total number that man will probably kill, and the lives he will wreck as he builds up what he so glibly calls my success. Why, I would not like to show him the picture of the suffering his son's ambition will cause within one week from today. Two lives indeed. Poor old man. At this moment the doctor returned, and Arndt looked searchingly at his face, but the trouble he saw there was answer enough, and he asked no questions. But Kennedy, after a moment, said, I have telegraphed to Clyde for Dr. King. I will remain here until he comes. Has Mr. Endy gone? He then inquired. I think not, said Arndt. I have not even heard him. As if the sound of his name had caused him to appear, at the moment the doctor was about to knock on the door, it opened from within, and Mr. Endy walked out. To the surprise of both men, he appeared more composed than when he entered, and he took the chair Arndt handed him with thanks and said, addressing Kennedy, How is Nettie? The case is beyond me, was the reply. I have telegraphed for King. The old man shrank as if struck and cried, Not for King! Surely it is not so bad as that! Yes, said Kennedy sadly and left the room. Mastering his emotion after a long pause, the visitors said, Mr. Arndt, I am informed that you are engaged to be married to Nettie. That gives you the right to be consulted, especially as I know of no relatives of Angus MacDonald nearer than Scotland. I would like to make all the arrangements for the funeral of my old comrade. Nettie has been a friend of mine ever since she was a little child, though it is true that of late years she has not visited at the mansion, and I would gladly have her removed there if it could be done safely. Arndt broke in hastily, but quite respectfully. She will never be under the same roof as that which shelters your son, sir. No, not for a moment. My sister, who lives in Clyde, will be here, probably on the same train as Dr. King. She is a trained nurse, and with the aid of the one from the hospital who is now here, and the help which the poor always give to those in distress, I can assure you that Nettie will be well taken care of. I know exactly how you feel about it, said the elder man. And I do not say that you are wrong, for that is probably as Nettie would wish it. But in regard to the other matter, remember that I have a claim which only an uninterrupted friendship of thirty-five years and over can give. And also, looking straight at Arndt, my fortune was honestly earned and is not yet my son's. Arndt thought about the dividends of the Iron and Steel Company, which he believed belonged partly to the men, and he met the look steadily. But then, suddenly, he yielded to an impulse of pity as he thought of the relation said to exist between father and son, and he took the hand which was extended to him, saying, You are right. Do as you wish in the matter. Robert Endy replied, Thank you, and if you have time, I wish to speak of a more personal matter. Oh, said Arndt, pulling himself together. As for time, I have plenty of that on my hands just now and there seems to be nothing to do but wait. But I think there is nothing else that we need discuss. He was thinking of his lost position. Permit me, sir, said his companion, to state my case. Then you may be a more competent juror. You are right, said Arndt. 
I haven't heard even one side yet, and I usually try to listen patiently to both sides before I render a verdict. But today, you know, today... Yes, yes, said his hearer, I know. Today we are none of us quite ourselves, and that is precisely why I must speak today. I consider it providential that I am able to talk to you while we are both of us softened by the nearness of the suffering which is in this house. I am a rich man, but I think not usually a hard man. Still, wealth hardens all of us, and I find myself addressing even the servants who have been with me for many years in the language and with the slighting tones used by my daily associates. And I am sorry for it, sorry for it, but one's environment gets the better of one sooner or later. I realized, as I stood by Angus in there, that this terrible habit of feeling above one's fellow man simply on account of wealth or station had lately caught such a grip on me that I had been patronizing in my manner even to him who was better and wiser than most men. He might have been a much richer man today, for I offered to secure him a better position when the works were consolidated. But he said, well, This work I can do as well as anyone. That work requires a younger man. Give them the chance. And he refused me. So I am glad to say my say while I am free from the habit which would assuredly prevent our understanding each other. For I think that if you find that feeling in a man, you close your shell pretty tight. Yes, said Arndt emphatically. You are right. It is the one thing I can't forgive the rich. Precisely, said Mr. Endy. I thought as much, and that is why I've told you this. For I want you to remember in the future that if there is ever a trace of it in my manner to you or any man, it is in the manner only. The feeling back of the manner is entirely different. But Arndt said abruptly, I think that I could not promise so much. That supercilious tone and attitude of the rich towards the poor is the sorest spot in the whole sore question. I think I have carefully studied this problem, and I see so much in favor of the rich that I am considered a weak man by many in the Union. But when a man who is my superior simply because he is rich, or because his father was able to give him a better start than I had, addresses me as if he were talking to his dog, I forget everything I ever knew in favor of men of his class, and then he will get nothing but what duty requires out of me until he alters his tone. For I notice that I never have to complain of anything of the kind in the attitude of those who might, with some show of justice, claim to be above the average. A man of extraordinary goodness or learning does not take this position unless he becomes suddenly rich. We don't mind your having things we have not, coaching parties and so forth ad infinitum. It's the dust you fling on us as you pass, and the haughty, scornful looks of your fine gentlemen and beautiful women which cause us to remember that if they were each of them doing, every day, the four hours of actual labor which belongs to them as their share of the world's work, we and our wives and sweethearts might also be having a holiday. Let them take care, let them take care. Those haughty looks and words and tones may someday cost them dear, for they are never forgotten by the man or woman to whom they are addressed. We may think that other things have been partly our own fault, and God knows we ought never to have allowed things to come to this pass, but the humblest of us knows that he has done nothing to deserve the contempt of such as many of them are. 
Let me ask, said his hearer, whether all working men feel as you do in this matter. Of course, said Arndt. Some of them have individual causes of complaint which for the time overshadow everything else. Some, yes, many are socialists who take exception to the industrial system itself. But to my mind, this is the one standing grievance which was and is never alleviated, and the numbering of the men is felt to be an open expression of the contempt in which they are individually held. Oh, I think not, said Mr. Endy. I wish I could agree with you, Arndt replied. But as I look at it, these things are attacks on our manhood and freedom and must be resented. Mr. Endy said, How? But at that moment, Kennedy looked in and said, I am going to the station for Dr. King. I wish that you would not leave this house during my absence, Charlie. I think Nettie is no worse. Arndt replied, Certainly I will not. But in that case, I shall have to ask you to kindly look after my sister, who will probably arrive on the same train, and you must explain to her why I could not come to meet her. Never fear, was the reply. I am too thankful to have so good a nurse coming to help us, as I know her to be, to not attend to her getting here safely. And then the two were left alone again. I am not surprised, said Mr. Endy. In fact, I expected something like this to be the case. Of course, it's not only the poor man who is studying this problem. There are plenty of rich men who feel as I do, which would suit you very well, only they act as I sometimes do, or worse. And that you do not like at all, and I don't blame you. Why, it makes my blood boil to hear Robert order Rollins around, though Rollins never resents it, and... Arndt interrupted him. Maybe you had better say never appears to resent it. I imagine that's nearer the truth. I hadn't thought of that, replied his hearer. Perhaps you're right. But... I must come to the point, as the train will soon be in, and we may not have a chance to talk together immediately afterwards. I want your help, Mr. Arndt. I can neither control the conduct of my son nor prevent the consequences of his acts. I foresee that what he does will cause great unhappiness and suffering. The former I cannot ward off. The latter I must do all in my power to lessen. These working people mistrust every man of my class, there are also dishonest men among you as well as among us, and they would get the money I intend for the worthy. Now I expect that there will be a strike soon, on account of that order about numbering the men, and I want you to be my agent in the relief of suffering among the workers and their families. I had intended to ask Angus to undertake this work for me, but his voice broke down, and there was silence for some moments. And then he said, If it takes every cent of my income, all right. Only, of course, this is just between us. I ask no credit from God or man for doing justice and right. Arndt sat as if stunned, and finally said, How do you know there will be a strike, or that I'm the man you need? The old man smiled for the first time since he had entered the house, and he said, Mr. Arndt, Rich men never get rich on their own labor, but by carefully selecting the right man for the right place and letting him do the work. I agree with you in thinking that they get entirely too much pay for that little matter of good judgment, but that is the fact. And I also suspect that you are one of the men on the strike committee. 
and I am pretty certain you are the one who voted to defer action when this order for numbering the men was promulgated. Now I expect you to change your vote. The fight may as well come on at once. I did not expect to do so at present, said Arndt, because winter is near and the men would suffer, and if I accept your offer, you understand that the strike will be long and may extend over the length and breadth of the land and may embrace every employee of a corporation, for they are all touched by this question, so that the men would get little help from outside branches of the union if the strike became general. But apart from that, this is the time to strike. The company does not expect it. They have been deferring signing the wage scale ever since the last agreement expired, when they voluntarily increased wages. I don't know what their object is, but such being the case, there could be no charge of violated contract brought against us if we strike now. Then again, today, most of the middle class are with us on account of the extortionate prices which the consolidated industries have forced upon them. And also, the companies are rushed with orders and will be correspondingly hurt if they have to shut down for any length of time and could not fulfill their contracts. Very good, said Mr. Endy. I am an old man. My son has chosen his path in spite of all that I could say. I am an American as well as a father. I believe in the brotherhood of man, and instead of putting up public libraries, which the laborer has neither time nor inclination to use after the exhausting toil of the day is over, and instead of endowing a university which only well-to-do people's sons can attend, I am going to devote my entire income every year from this day until I die to the actual relief of the sufferings of the class who earned this money. And we will use some of the principal from time to time when we can see our way clear to permanently benefit their position. May Almighty God reward you for your decision, said Arndt. I am already amply rewarded in the peace of mind which came to me when I made that vow beside the coffin of my friend, said Mr. Endy. But as yet I have done nothing, and when I do, it must not be known who is doing it. I am particular about this, for I am made perfectly sick by seeing how every contribution from the rich, of a tithe of one day's income even, once in a while causes the whole press of the United States to overflow with praise. Arndt took advantage of the pause to exclaim, That was well put, Mr. Endy, for it is the press, and some of the middle class who always get the benefit of those donations, mouth-closers, we call them, who do the overflowing. The actual working class are not fooled. Mr. Endy quickly remarked, I am glad of that, and then continued, I believe in liberty, and the course which the young men who are now in command are pursuing means the ultimate slavery of the working class the world over, a slavery comparable to which that of the blacks previous to the War of 1861 was paradise. For then, except in extreme cases, the bodies of the slaves were at least well clothed and fed, and proper medical attention was assured, together with good and clean houses, while today, why, only yesterday I heard my pastor remonstrating with an elder in our church about the starving condition of a family that worked for him, and the only reply he received was, Well, they are all sickly, and don't turn out as much work per capita as others in our employ, and the sooner they die, the sooner they will be out of their misery, and then we will get a healthier family in their place. 
In answer to a look of astonishment from Arndt, he said, Oh, certainly. The rich know these things as well as you do, and I expect that it is hurting the feelings of many a one of us today. But we are all afraid to make a move for fear that things cannot be controlled at the right point. You know how that is. Well, said Arndt, I expect the move has been made already, for I had no hope that the men would be held back or listen to anything I could say when they heard about the death of Angus. He was loved by all, as few bosses ever are. He had the good of the workers at heart and believed in their manhood. So I am more relieved than I can tell you. I accept and thank you for your offer, on their behalf. I will see to it that they do all in their own power to help themselves, but when they need assistance I will freely draw on you. The union meets tonight and I expect there will be a strike ordered to take effect at once and to last until the offensive order is repealed and several other matters straightened out, but this is, of course, strictly a secret. I may not be able to send you word of the result of the meeting. I may not be able to be there myself. Bear up, bear up said Mr. Endy. There is work for us to do. I have some plans in my mind which I will talk about some other day. I want to say that I will leave here to go to my lawyer in Clyde in order to fix my will so that if anything goes wrong with me, you will still be able to help the men. For I want to aid in fighting this evil which is crushing the manhood out of every one of us, rich as well as poor. By the way, said Arndt, excuse me, but... Your income depends largely on these works keeping running. I was wondering whether you would think of that, was the reply. It did, but it does not. I have not liked the methods used, and also, as a matter of business precaution, I have gradually sold stock ever since I received my allotment, so that today there is not enough left in my hands to bother about. Of course, I could sell that at once, but I could not consider that course honorable knowing what I know about the future. At this moment, they heard the noise of the approaching carriage as it came rapidly along the almost deserted road towards this humble house in Steelton, and the thoughts of those in the carriage took no further range than the room behind Charles Arndt and Robert Endy, where all that remained of Angus MacDonald lay silent in death, and the little room upstairs directly overhead those who so anxiously awaited their coming were apparently as lifeless lay the woman on whose life or death, Robert Endy thought, hung the determining of whether the labor question was to reach a final settlement without the arbitrament of war. And the thoughts of the great and busy world of human beings, so eagerly striving and struggling to secure a living or to supersede one another, were not centered on this house, where a millionaire and a working man had met and talked as man to man and planned to bring about peace, the peace we prayed about, but never have had. Few except the workers in the Steelton mills were thinking of the house at all. Few outside of Steelton knew of its existence. And yet Robert Endy, as he stood beside his companion looking out of the single small window towards the carriage now in sight, took note of the wintry sun that peered through the half-closed blinds into that darkened room where Angus MacDonald lay, took note of the smoke belching from the numerous tall, unsightly chimneys of the company's works, and, as he turned and gazed at that working man, and took note of his strong, resolute face and realized what was written there, he became fully convinced that there, and not at Washington nor anywhere else, was the center of things that day. And he said, 
we must give our lives to preventing the resort to the arbitrament of war. With all my heart, said Arndt, as he clasped the outstretched hand. End of chapter 6